All right, why don't you, um, why don't you uh, have a seat? Let's, uh, let's get started. All right. Check one, two. Check, 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 check. Is this on? It's on. It's on? Yes. Praise God, it works. Hey, why don't you uh, give it up for the band? That was fantastic. Awesome. Oh, right. I'm going to, I'm a sitter. Um, so, not a babysitter, just a sitter. Um, but I will, uh, is that okay if I sit? Y'all are sitting. So, it's great to be with you. This is my first time in Iowa. Um, I never thought I'd be here. I didn't even know that Iowa existed, to be quite honest. Um, I'm a Canadian. Uh, which is part of the part of the reason for my ignorance. Um, I'm allowed to be ignorant. Um, so uh, I'm married to Jasmine. Jasmine is Australian. Oi, oi, oi! Yeah, gosh, being married to an Australian—it's it's pretty. It, I was telling this um, the service last night that. Um, Australians are, are people who can't speak English. Uh, they, you know, they, they speak with a, with a speech impediment. If I, if I put a gun to my wife's head and, and said, you need to form an R now, she'd be in heaven. It's a horrible joke. <laughs> um, she's wonderful. We're praying for her. Um, there's going to be, she start, sometimes um, she'll be talking to people, we'll, we'll be at like a drive-thru or something, and she'll be ordering, <laughs> and she'll have to form a hard R. It's amazing, uh, because people just won't understand her. It's wonderful. Um, so we've been married, uh, we've been married for eight and a half years, and we uh, live in Palm Springs, California, um, and... Um, we love it in the desert. It's, it's awesome. It's not Canada, because Canada's freezing cold. Um, my dad is a pastor in a small town in Canada, a town of 1,800 people. Um, yeah, there's, uh, I, I believe that number includes livestock. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of, a lot of farmers in my dad's church. It's, it's pretty cool. And uh, we got a, 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 a stoplight we got a subway, and there's a Tim Hortons. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tim Hortons. It's, it's like a Canadian thing. So that's where I'm from. And then I moved to New York uh, City um, after I was in Canada. I went to Bible college, and then, and then I was a youth pastor for my dad for three years. And then moved to New York City for eight years. And then I moved to California uh, four years ago. And so... Um, Right now, what I do is I, I, I run and I, um, with my two brothers, uh, started a, basically an online Bible college um, called Theos U. It's really cool. We love it. Um, we have about 6,000 plus students uh, from all over the world. About 2,000 of them are pastors. Um, and it's been just amazing the last four years, just just seeing, seeing people's interest peaked. And um, basically, uh, we, it's, it's kind of like Netflix, but for theology. Um, so so, so it, I had this idea in my head, like, wow, it costs a lot of money to go to Bible college. I wonder if we could, like, make Bible college academic level courses available to people for, you know, basically what they pay for Netflix and so that's what we've been doing. So we have a, a really fantastic faculty, um, and we're, 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 we're charismatic, we're conservative evangelicals, and uh, we love the Bible, and we love the church, and we love the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, um, so th that's kind of what we do. So, um, so before I get started, I wanted to, to offer your church... Uh, a 50% discount on our, on our annual um, subscription. Um, I don't know if they have the graphic ready right now or not. Is it there? Boom. Boom. 
So if you scan that with your phone, that'll take you to our landing page, and then you can debate with yourself. If my sermon is good, then maybe, you know, you sign up. And, and, but if it's horrible, don't sign up. Just be like, that guy was trash, and his website's trash. Okay. Um, okay, this is, this is great. Okay, let's, um, by the way, I had the best lamb I've ever had in my life last night in, in Iowa. That place that you took me to? That was insane. Okay, best lamb ever. I had dreams about it. Okay. Okay. If you're taking notes this morning, you know what, let's pray. I, I, I need to pray for me. Okay. Uh, Father, thank you for Iowa. Thank you for Eternity Church. Uh, thank you for what you're doing here, Lord, and we can just sense your presence here and sense your leading and your moving and your guiding, um, and thankful that you're here today. Jesus, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, you're there, so there's more than three of us, you're really here today, and, and we're here to meet with you and to hear from you, Lord. Um, and Holy Spirit, uh, thank you that every time we open your word, there's a shedding of light. Uh, Holy Spirit, you inspired the scriptures. You're the divine author. And I'm asking that as we read your words today, that you would speak individually, uniquely, and collectively to us. Uh, open our eyes to, to, to see what the Spirit is doing and open our, our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. Uh, and Lord, thank you that every time that we, we hear you um, and we embrace your word with, with faith, uh, that something happens to us and that your word doesn't return void. So, Father, we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, this talk is called Get a Better Bike. Get a Better Bike. I moved to New York City from, the, uh, from, the, from, the, uh, from my small little town in Ontario. Uh, there's a lot of things that shocked me about New York. Um, one of the things that, that I noticed about New York was how bad New York City is on bicycles. Um, people steal bicycles in New York. That might shock you. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie Elf with Will Ferrell? You know, and he, it's this Christmas movie and he goes to New York City. <laughs> and there's, he's, there's all these things happening is, and his father and his papa told him, when you go to New York, you know, don't eat the gum. And so he's eating the gum and it's, it's weird and and um, I kind of felt like Elf when I moved to New York. I was just like overwhelmed by the sheer amount of people. And, but this one thing that stood out to me was how New York just trashes bicycles. And uh, bicycles get mangled and they get stolen. There's always like a ghost bicycle with all kinds of parts missing. And just the, like a, a piece of it is chained and the rest of it's gone. Um, and I remember in New York... Uh, um, there was this video that was going around uh, our staff at the church that I worked at there. And there's a video of this guy who was trying to make a point about how bikes get stolen in New York. And New Yorkers don't care about it. They like, care about it, but they don't care about it. And this guy chained his bicycle to a, uh, you know, some sort of bicycle rack. And he had his buddy video him. And so he was, you know, he, so he got wire cutters or whatever, and he's, or bolt cutters, and he's doing this, and New Yorkers are just walking by like, whatever, you know, nobody, nothing to see here, just, just giant bolt cutters, and a guy, you know, taking a bike. They didn't know if it was his or not. And then he, so he kept on like more elaborate schemes of, of liberating his bike, and people just don't care. And finally, he gets a chainsaw, and he's like chainsawing through this this bicycle lock, and just and the police officer just walks by and just does not care. Um, and that's New York City. Uh, we, we have this joke, what does a Brooklyn hipster's girlfriend get for Christmas? Your bike. Okay? So they get stolen. They don't last long. It's, this is what happens in New York. Then there's the whole thing of just riding a bicycle in New York City, which is a death wish, to be quite honest with you. My brother and I have seen multiple uh, bicyclists or cyclists get creamed by, by New York City taxi cabs. 
I mean, it's, it's, it is a horrible thing to behold, and I have never, ever ridden a bicycle in New York. Uh, be, I, I just knew better. Like, you don't. It's, 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 it's the height of, of stupidity. In fact, um, we had, we had a, a staff member at our church uh, uh, um, get hit by a bicycle or, or get hit by a, a dump truck and die at our church. And I just remember thinking, like, obviously, it was, just, it, was, it was horrible, but it was just like, man, I am definitely never going to ride a bike in this city. Um, it's just not safe. It, it's going to get stolen. New York destroys bicycles. Um, life can be really hard on your faith. Life can be really hard on your faith. Life is challenging. Um, there's a lot going on in our culture. Uh, we intake, you know, we, we, we have anger problems. We get road rage. We, we, we you know, people not, not necessarily misplace their faith, but they can, you can feel sometimes that you're losing your faith. You know, um, you know, you, you, God, God, you know, can, God, do you, are you really going to come through? Are you, can I really believe you for this? You hearing me? Like, life can be really hard on your faith. And, and when I think of our faith, um, I think of our, the Christian faith as like a bicycle. There's three elemental parts of the Christian faith. Um, if we kind of boil it down, and, and Paul the Apostle uses this diagnostic that he runs on the churches that he writes to. Uh, it's three parts, and, and, and I believe that these three parts are faith, hope, and love. We have this, our, our first passage, uh, uh, let's take a look at it, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's just really simple. We see there's a number of, of passages that have faith, hope, and love in them, but you know, Paul says this, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we're going to take a look at three churches this morning, uh, the Roman church that needs Faith. They need to understand faith. Uh, the Corinthian church that needs some love, and the uh, the, Thessal- the Thessalonian church that needs hope. And so, what Paul's going to do is he's going to go, guys. Uh, you know, you're doing great in these areas, but you are struggling in this area. And if you're struggling in one of these elemental areas, it's going to cause major problems for your church. It's also going to cause major problems for your faith in general. Right? So what we're going to do this morning is just run this faith, hope, love diagnostic and see how these elemental pieces of your, bi- your, your bicycle, your Christian faith is doing. Does that sound good? Okay. So, yes, yeah, so I, of, 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 I think of the Christian faith as, okay, so if it was a bicycle, uh, faith would be your framework. It's your basic framework, Okay. Uh, it's the thing that sort of, it's the design and it holds it all together. It's the frame of your faith. Hope would be, hope would be your, the, it's the energy. It's like, it's, it's the chain and the, and the pedals. Okay? It's what gives your faith movement. Hope is the reason why you wake up in the morning. It's, the re, it's, it's why we, we sow. We sow really in hope because hope has to do kind of with the return of Christ, the eschaton. You know, Jesus is coming back, and so we're living in light of eternity. What a great name for a church. And, and so you've got your hope going. And then love would be your, your steering mechanism. Love is the whole reason why we're, it's, the, it's the, the direction that we're headed in. It's the whole point of the whole thing, right? It's, which is why Paul said well, it's the greatest of these. Um, because without, without that, you're not going anywhere. Um, okay, so, so faith is your frame, hope is your chain, and love is your aim. Look at that. I made it rhyme, so it must be true. Okay. All right, let's take a look at our first church. Church in Rome. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit, little bit of a background the Roman background is, is this. In AD 19, the Emperor Tiberius expelled the Jews from Rome. There were Jews that were living there as embassies or businessmen, etc. And Tiberius was like, we don't like Jews. They're problematic. 
They don't blend in with Roman culture. Um, this is part of the reason why the Romans didn't like them. Romans were like, you can believe anything you want. You can be from any culture as long as you worship the emperor. And the Jews are like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And they're like, yeah, you suck. Get out. Uh, then uh, uh, um, after Tiberius there's another, there's another Caesar after that Caesar there's Claudius and in, in 40, 42 AD there's another Jewish expulsion that lasted I think 12 to 14 years we read about this second expulsion Jews from Rome uh, in the book of Acts in fact this is the occasion for Priscilla and Aquila uh, being kicked out of Rome and coming to Corinth to meet Paul there. They were Roman Jews, and they've been kicked out of, Jew, uh, kicked out of, of Rome, and so they come to Corinth, and they're Christians, and they, they connect with Paul, and they start helping you know, with this Corinthian church. So there's this general sentiment in Rome uh, of anti-Semitism. Okay? Now, the Roman church, most scholars believe, was started as a result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, during uh, the days that followed the Passover uh, in Pentecost. Okay? Um, it was required of, a, of, a, of, a, of an observant Jew once in their life to travel to Jerusalem during the Passover. Jerusalem was a town of about 75,000. It would swell to a town of about 150,000 once a year. Uh, during the Passover, all these Jews from the diaspora living throughout the Mediterranean would come home and they'd celebrate Passover or, or pilgrimage, rather, to Jerusalem. So these, these Jewish Romans and Jewish, you know, Thessalonians, Macedonians from all over the Mediterranean world are in Jerusalem. And the, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples. They get these tongues of fire and they start to speak other people's languages, glossolalia, and they're speaking you know, in Latin, and they're speaking Macedonian or, you know, all these different languages. And these, these Jews who speak these other languages are going, oh my gosh, they're, speak, they're speaking the gospel. Wow, in my language, this is insane. And they're convicted, and, and, they're, and they respond to the gospel. And then they take the gospel, 3,000 of them were added to the church that day, and that's just men, and then they go back to the cities and the towns that they're from, and they start... Christian communities. So that's how the Christian community in Rome would have started. It would have been started by Jewish Christians. So these Jewish Christians, they, they come back to Rome, they start a, a Christian community, and everything's super Jewish, and their songs have like a Jewish vibe to them, right? And they're gathered, it's like the, it's like the 80s in Christianity, I was born in 1982. In the 80s, all the songs had a Jewish vibe, okay? And so, so, so the, the Jews, okay, this is what Christianity is. So, so Gentiles begin to, they're add, being added to the church, and they're like going with this thing. Okay, this is a little Jewish, but this is awesome. All right, Jesus, woo, you know? Um, and then the Jews get expelled, and the Gentiles take over the church. Then the Jews come back, after this, section, this second expulsion by Claudius, you know, they've been gone for 14 years. The church has grown, but it's, it's now it's, the church has, been, has become Romanized. Okay? They're not, they don't sound like Jews anymore. They sound like Coldplay. Okay? <laughs> or U2. You know? It's like, what happened to my, my Jewish music? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Why not? And, and so the church is... The, the Jews are, are, you know, the Gentiles are swinging from the chandeliers. They're eating non-kosher meat. They're drinking non-kosher wine. Uh, this is a huge issue because now they can't celebrate the love feast, which is sort of the, like how church starts, and it starts with the potluck. And the church, <laughs> literally, in, the ancient, in the, ancient, the ancient Christian church began with the potluck. And then at the end of the potluck, They'd take the bread, the wine, and they'd receive uh, communion. And as they, 
take communion, they begin to sing. The Holy Spirit begins to manifest the presence because the Holy Spirit is the one who mediates the presence of Christ in the church. And the, the Spirit begins to manifest gifts and they begin to prophesy and minister over one another. And then they, they would have a time of teaching and that was how they did church. Well, this church can't even do the first part. They can't eat. And the Jews in Rome cannot drink Roman wine because Roman wine is made with uh, pig's blood, ox blood. The Romans invented the process of fining wine or clarifying wine, and they used animal uh, blood, um, ox blood, dried ox blood was still used in all of European wines until 1993, until the BCE scare, uh, and then they started using... Uh, eggs and, and, and other, other animal products, but no blood. Uh, to this day, you can buy kosher wine and, um, and vegan wines. Um, just a little viticulture for you there. <laughs> but in Romans 14, which is part of the occasion, there's two reasons why the, the book of Ro- uh, Romans is written. Paul's introducing himself. He's saying, hi, I'm your boss. I'm coming to visit you. Also, number two, you're an, you're an ethnically divided church over an issue of faith. You guys won't even eat together because you won't eat meat because the, 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 the Gentiles or the Romans are eating meat and drinking wine and the Jews cannot violate kosher law. And so you're divided over, over, over meat and drink. And so I need to remind you about faith because Romans 14, eating meat and drinking wine is an issue of faith. And so Paul's going to talk about how faith works for eight chapters. Then he's going to talk about Israel for three chapters. Then he's going to talk about practical worship. And then he's going to hit them with faith again. The Roman church needs faith to be united. Um, let's take a look at our, our, our uh, verse here from, from, from Romans. I believe it's Romans 1.17. Um, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness, or the Greek word dikaiosune, this is the big theme of the book of Romans. How do you become righteous? How did you get here in the first place? You got here by faith, not by works. Right? Romans chapter 1. You Gentiles, you got problems. Romans chapter 2. You Jews, you also have problems. Romans chapter 3. We all have problems. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans chapter 4. Okay, there's a guy named Abraham. He too had problems. But he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then we begin to see the practical outworking of that. You did not get here because of what you eat, what you drink, what TV shows you watch? What TV shows you don't watch? You hearing me? You got here by faith. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Was Abraham justified before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? This is what Paul will ask the Jews in, in, Roman, in Romans chapter 4. He was justified before. And the Jews are like, what? The Gentiles are like, yes. Right? The Jews are wanting the Gentiles to be circumcised. And the Gentiles are like, how about no? And Paul's saying, yes, these, these are externals. These are peripherals to the gospel. You know, they're not eating, you know, oh, they're eating foods that you don't like. You know, you're getting, you're getting upset about some peripherals. This, this stuff doesn't save you. Maybe it'll be helpful, but it doesn't save you. You need to understand faith. And then we'll get to Romans 14. And Paul's, you know, he's working his way slowly to Romans 14. And then he hits Romans 14. He says, okay. Some of y'all, you Gentiles, you're eating meat, and it's, it's, it's meat that's offered to idols because in Rome uh, and in, in most of these pagan cities, if you ate meat in a city, that meat was not slaughtered kosher, and it would have been slaughtered near, adjacent to, or in a temple. Yeah. 
that would have been offered to idols, absolutely. So you had to be a, essentially a vegetarian um, to be a Jew, or you had to slaughter your own meat. Well, these, the, the, these Romans have strong faith, similar to Paul. Paul had this revelation. Look, like there is no such thing as an idol. I'm monotheist. I believe in God. So I got faith to eat Roman meat. But these Jews don't have faith for it. It violates their conscience. And Paul says in Romans 14, anything that's not of faith is sin. So if you don't got a revelation for it, don't eat it. But if you got a revelation and you're walking in your liberty in Christ Jesus, you go for it. But there's, there can be a problem with strong faith and weak faith in the church because people begin to look at one another and judge one another. And so the Roman church is fractured really over faith. How did we get here? How, how did we become Christians? Was it by the works of the law? No, it wasn't. And so now, I, I'm here because of the grace of God. You hearing me? My good behavior has not saved me. And then Paul will write to the Galatians. The book of Galatians is, is the book of Romans in seed form. Most scholars believe that Galatians was written, is, is the first, the first uh, letter that, that Paul wrote. And in Galatians, Paul will say to the Galatians, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? The, what, you know, your good behavior didn't save you. Now all these things, these, these things that you're heaping on yourself, is that going to perfect you? Your righteousness is like dirty rags. Or in the Hebrew, dirty underwear. Here, God, uh, you keep that. Oh, here's my best day. I'm so... Eh. That's for you. In Romans 14, Paul will say, why would you judge another man's servant? He doesn't report to you. He gives an account to the Lord. So if somebody's watching a show that you don't like, how dare you watch that show? I can't even go to church with him. He's been watching Yellowstone. I am a Hallmark-only Christian. They let their kids watch Band of Brothers last year. How dare they? There is violence. Right? And Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars. John Wesley drank wine. And they would just lob cannonballs at one another from their pulpits. At each other's vices. Why do we do this? Because we're insecure. This is an issue of faith. And so Paul just says, look, if you've, if you've got faith, hey, you Gentiles, if you've got faith to eat that meat and drink that wine, that's great. Because you're gonna, you need, anything that's not of faith is sin. So if your conscience doesn't condemn you, you eat in, in, in liberty. And you drink in liberty. But just don't rub it in weak people's faces. Don't make it an issue of fellowship. Right? So if your Jewish friends come over, hide the bacon and the wine. You know what I mean? Don't shove it in their faces. Well, we're eating bacon tonight. It's like, you know, the Jewish people are rolling their eyes. There we go. Do you have any veggies? No, bacon! And if you're, if you're, you Jews, if you have the, if you, you know, if, if you have your, 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 your Gentile friends over for dinner, then don't, you know, begin to judge them and say, I cannot, but you stink like bacon. What is that, a cologne? A bacon cologne? <laughs> don't make this an issue of fellowship. Keep in mind that these are issues of faith and they don't report to you, they report to the Lord. Right? So the divided, the, 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 the divided church that's judging one another needs to understand 
faith. We're people of the ear. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. This is a faith journey. You live your, you live, you look, the life that you live, you live under the Lord. So I'm not going to judge you. You're my Christian brother. You're my Christian sister. What you decide to eat, drink, you know, watch on TV, whatever it is, you do you, boo. I'm going to do me. You hearing me? But I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge you. We need faith, understanding how we got here in the first place, and then allowing that to temper the rest of our decisions as we serve the Lord. Okay. The Corinthians. The Corinthians are the worst church in the New Testament. Possibly the worst church that's ever existed. Possibly. Um, the miracle of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that Paul even wrote them a letter. If I was Paul, you know, and somebody was like, hey, how's that church in Corinth going? I'm like, Corinth, I've never been there. <laughs> it's just fascinating. The guy has to argue for his, like, I'm, no, I am your pastor. I am your, he's writing this letter to them in 2 Corinthians. It's ridiculous. And he knows it, and he's humbling himself. He's like, I feel like an idiot writing you this. I cannot believe I'm writing this letter to you. In 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Paul says this, In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine being a part of a church that was... You literally felt worse when you gathered. You know what I mean? I got to take a shower. That just was, that sucked. That is crazy. Some of the sternest warnings in the Bible are in, in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes to the, the, this Corinthian church is a super divided, factioned church. And he writes to them, he says, hey guys, um, you are the temple of the Lord, collectively. You're the temple. Not, it's not an individual reading here. It's a corporate reading. He says, you are the temple of the Lord. And if somebody destroys the temple, God will destroy him. As in, like, you're the church, take yourself seriously, you're the temple, you're the, the dwelling place of God. And if you want to, if you, you think that you're going to get away with destroying the church, uh, you're not. That's a pretty stern warning. And then, the, another stern warning is in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's talking about the table of the Lord, and he's saying, if you eat at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner, like, this is the reason why many of you are ill and weak and some have died what does it mean to eat at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner? Well, at the love feast, the, the potluck, the rich are bringing their food, their, 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 their food and, and their wine, and the rich are going first. The poor don't have anything. But the rich are going first. They eat all the food. They drink all the wine, and they get drunk. So you have somebody that's up here. They haven't eaten for a day. And you have these rich people over here, and they're singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> Just hammered. At church. <laughs> this, is, this is why Paul's like, your church sucks. Because there's some people in your church that make it all about themselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul will bookend this section. And he'll say, therefore, brothers, wait for one another. When you eat. What does that mean? Well, contextually, what it means is to eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner is to make church all about yourself. It's all about me and my preferences. Right? I'm just, yeah, it's all about me and just, ah, uh, music was a little loud today. They didn't sing Good, Good Father. It's a little dark in there. Just, I don't know, just seat was a little uncomfortable. You hear me? It's all about me. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. 
Right? And it's, it's from that posture that we begin to tear not just things and atmospheres, but people apart. Right? Who is this, guy, who is this freak that's speaking? Where's Pastor Jesse? <laughs> Some of you amened a little too hard there. In 1 Corinthians, so, so this, this, this uh, church is the most spiritually gifted church in the New Testament. Paul says you come short in no gift. You guys are loaded for bear when it comes to spiritual gifts. You could, you could prophesy the pain off the wall. Um, but it's everybody... The spiritual gifts are immediate and they're free. Spiritual fruit takes years. You can be spiritually gifted and spiritually immature. Just look at the Corinthians. Right? Spiritually gifted does not mean spiritually mature. Right? How long does it take when you plant an apple tree for an apple to come? I believe it's about 10 years. So these Corinthians, man, they got, their, they got their shiny new toy. Oh, I'm so gifted. And they just use those giftings to try to, like, self-actualize and build a platform. In fact, their, their, their worship services are so disordered that there's people that are prophesying over each other. It would be like, you know, three of us trying to preach a sermon at the same time. There's just three sermons going on. There's, like, three guys up here. It's just like, what is, this is a cacophony. Right? If I was Paul, I'd say, we're done. No more spiritual gifts. No, none. We're going to sit on our hands, and we're going to just, I'm going to have the mic the whole time. Okay? You are all done. No, 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 no. Quiet. Right? But Paul does the absolute opposite. He encourages spiritual gifting. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are some of the, the clearest teaching on spiritual gifts, and we're going to get there in a second, some of the best teaching on spiritual gifts that we have in the New Testament. But what he's going to do is he's going to insert 1 Corinthians 13 between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, of course. Now, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, that is the love chapter. The love chapter. All about love. And so Paul's like, hey, you know, 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, guys, spiritual gifts, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, so check this out. If you do all that awesome spiritual gift stuff, but you don't have love, you're just a noisy gong. And then he begins to, he has to begin to list what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't seek its own, right? It rejoices with the truth. That's an important one that our culture often forgets about love. Yeah. Right? Yeah, don't forget that one. <laughs> love is love. Well, love is true. So yeah. there is that. First yeah. Corinthians 14. So then Paul says, the greatest of these is love. Now, let's go to First Corinthians 14. So he says, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. Keep that as your main thing. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Would you say this morning that you, you eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit? Would you say, Holy Spirit, that's me. That is a portrait of me. I eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially to prophesy. I eagerly desire that. If you don't, you should let this word be corrective. Okay, we're reading the scripture. Our, our response to scripture should always be, yes, Lord. Guilty. Right, okay. Do that in me, Lord. Okay. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. Ain't that the truth? You know, shabba-dabba-ding-dong. It's like, What? They utter mysteries by the Spirit. 
But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Or as my dad says, build up, stir up, cheer up. Some of y'all, some of y'all, you think when you think of prophecy, you think of like the spooky. It's like you have to you got to be Gandalf, the wizard. You know what I mean? Or it's always you know it's some and, and you're just like I I am not Gandalf. I don't have a red phone you know aligned to God that way, and and I don't want to mistakenly prophesy somebody to Siberia. You know we have these weird concepts of what prophecy is. Now, absolutely, there are capital P prophets who, who they, they, they have a gift. They, they, it's, it's a gift that, that Jesus has given them, and they have an ability sometimes to foretell events. But local church prophecy, lower P prophecy, is more about forthtelling, and you can do it with your eyes open, and it has to do with just strengthening somebody, encouraging somebody, and comforting somebody. Right? You're speaking to a person, and you're, you're building them up, stirring them up, in their faith, and cheering them up. Some of you have been prophesying, you didn't even know it. And this is the spiritual gift that Paul's saying, y'all, you you need this. With love in mind, keeping in mind that love is the most important thing of our faith, prophesy. Because when you're speaking in tongues, let's let's keep reading, when you're speaking in tongues, you're building yourself up. Hey, that's fantastic. But you know what this church needs? Prophecy. The one who prophesies edifies, that's a fancy word, for builds the church. You are our church building program. You are. Not Pastor Jesse, not the worship band, not me, you. You hearing me? And And it's super easy. Paul makes it so abundantly clear. Just let's not be so superstitious and let, let's not over-spiritualize this. Build up, stir up, cheer up. If you'll do that, people are going to... Our, our society is so encouragement deficit that when people experience the presence and the people of God, they're like, I need more of that. Man, I went to this church and people just loved me. And, I, and, and their love was audible. Love builds the church. Lovers build the church. If you love God, you will build people. Right? Prophetically. You just, with your eyes open. When I sense, a, like, a, I like somebody, I know it's the Holy Spirit prodding me to say something. I can just meet somebody, oh, man, I like this person. That's the Holy Spirit in me saying, Nate, say something. Right? And I just, man, I just, you're awesome. You just start with that. You know? And then just open your mouth and I will fill it. You know, you, you, you begin to take that step and the Lord begins to, to lead you, guide you. You are our assimilation program. You are. The fivefold gifts exist to equip the saints for the ministry. Okay, this next verse, uh, he edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Hey, man, I speak in tongues. I love speaking in tongues because it builds me up in my most holy faith, right? But when I'm at church, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. But Paul's saying take the middleman out, and when when you're gathered together, prophesy to one another. Make church about others. When I come to church, I'm here to minister to the Lord and minister to somebody. Right? It's not about now, paradoxically, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Right? But when I come to church, I'm a priest. I'm bringing the sacrifice of praise. Remember we used to sing that song? Kind of sounded Jewish. We bring the sacrifice, right? I'm bringing my sacrifices, Lord. I'm ministering to you and I'm ministering to others. Okay. Thessalonians. All right. This is our last church. 
background of the Thessalonians is this. They're a free city, which means they don't have to pay taxes. They chose the right side during the Roman Civil War, and they were awarded the free city-state. They're loving it. It's the next best thing to being a colony. They're like, we don't have to pay taxes. We're important. Everybody else is not important as us. If you are a free city, you have to follow the rules of the colonies. Or you have to follow the rules of Rome. You need to be Roman. So what Rome disallows, a free city has to disallow. Mystery cults were illegal in Rome. They caused a lot of problems for Rome. Mystery cults were typically obsessed with the eschaton, with the end, with, you know, the end times, stuff like that. They were weird. They caused people to be weird. And if you allowed mystery cults, then the Romans would take away your free city status, among other things, many things that they, take, they could take your status away. Christianity for a while was mistaken for Judaism. Um, and Paul did that intentionally. Um, but then the Romans started to, to catch on. Okay, this is something different. Which is why in Philippi, Paul's going to have to talk to people outside of the city by the river. Because within the city of Philippi was a colony. And Paul knew the rules. And the, the cat was out of the bag by that point. And so you see this conversation with Lydia at the river, and he's, he's talking about, you know, the things of God. Um, and on Paul's first missionary journey, he goes to Thessalonica, and he, he, he uh, goes to the synagogue, as was his way. What he would do is he would go to a Jewish synagogue, and he'd minister to the Jews, because to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, that was sort of his, his, his plan of attack. And so he ministers to these Jews, and the Jews are like, yeah, we're not having any of it. We're not buying. And so they chase, and they run Paul out of town. Uh, Paul takes all of the arrows and the slings, uh, but he leaves Timothy and some other guys to ninja disciple uh, the, the, the Thessalonians. And so they, these, these, these Thessalonian Jews, they hated Paul. They chased him all over the place. They chased him, you know, everywhere. They really couldn't, for whatever reason, they just couldn't stand Christianity. The, Thessalon the, the Thessalonian church is the most persecuted church in the Bible. And um, so Paul's going to write a ton about persecution and about the coming of Christ because these guys are like, when is Jesus coming back? I'm over this. Right? Nobody's doing business with us. Everybody hates us. Our pets' heads are falling off. Paul says, part of the issue, the Jews are really causing problems for this church. They're, the Jews are going to the Thessalonian leaders and saying, hey, this is a mystery cult. And if you don't extinguish Christianity from this town, we're going to lose our tax-exempt status. So not, not only do you have the Jews that are persecuting the Christian church, now the Thessalonian uh, Gentiles are, are persecuting the church. These guys are, are it's, it's rough. It sucks to be a Thessalonian. And so the Thessalonians have become very sidetracked politically, this church. Because they're just like, man, things need to change politically. They're, they're worried about their future. Anxiety is fear of future pain. That's what anxiety is. They have a lot of anxiety. They're anxiety-ridden. They're scared of future pain. They're constantly thinking about it. You know, I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be dragged out. I'm going to be stoned. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be, you know, what are people going to do to us next? They're sidetracked by their anxiety. They're depressed. They're discouraged about the future. So much so that they've stopped doing basic things. There's this verse in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11. Paul literally has to tell them to get a job. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own beeswax and work with your hands. What else do you work with? Just as we told you. Right, these, these guys have, it's, they quit their job. 
They're stressed out, you know, and they're, they're just on Facebook 24 hours a day. You know what I'm saying? Haven't showered in weeks. They're living off of a steady diet of Pepsi and Pringles. You know I mean, not working and just like po- every, you know, dude, hey, I like a good conspiracy theory, but you've posted 98 of them today. You know what I mean? The vaccine, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the vaccine's probably not the mark of the beast. <laughs> it clearly doesn't work the way that they said it worked. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that. Everybody that's vaccinated is getting COVID. Um, I'm the, my wife and I are the only ones that are vaccinated in, our, in my family. Everybody else is an anti-vaxxer. But I have to travel to Europe and Australia, so I had to get the jab. Um, but yes, it doesn't work. I got COVID for Christmas. <laughs> so there is that. Okay. But my point is, it's probably not the, the mark of the beast. I don't have time to get into it, but it's theologically, it's the stupidest thing you could say. So these people, right, right, they're, 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 and look, we're living in crazy times. We are living in crazy times. People are stupid. (laughs) It isn't, people are, they're getting crazy. Craziness. I don't want to get political. I'm Canadian and I should stay out of it. But, you know, like grooming kindergartners about their gender. It's insanity. This whole gender thing is it's it's insanity. It's not not in your right mind. And, and it's just one thing after the other. It's insanity after insanity after insanity. People are going, the world is getting weird. That's what happens when you kick God out. And you become God. Well, you weren't made to be God. And then, you know, on top of COVID, you know, of course, we have Putin invading Ukraine. And so now everybody's worried about that. You know? And there's all these, you know, and my wife was texting me last night, you know, Russia has hypersonic missiles. Great. New fear unlocked. You know, do we have them too? Well, we better have them too. Right? It's just one thing after the other. So there's a lot of reasons to be afraid. There's a lot of reasons to, to stop working and to just be on the internet and get weird and start believing weird things with along, just alongside the world. And right now, the world doesn't need a weird church. It needs a bold church. It needs a biblical church. It needs a fearless church. You see, Paul tells, <laughs> Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, guys, I know your way out of your problem. You have an issue with hope. Jesus is your hope. So it doesn't matter who's in the White House, right? It matters, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's not going to interrupt the purposes of God in the the earth, right? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And that wasn't contingent on who's in office, right? But Paul gets really practical. A number of years ago, I I had... um, I had a, a, a panic attack that lasted for like 12 hours. It's about four, four or five years ago. And um, messed my amygdala up, and my, which is your flight or fight me- mechanism. It's, like, it's kind of like your, your security alarm. 
um, for your body. And like some of my security alarms going off. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so I begin to catastrophize, you know, worst case scenario. Worst, oh my gosh, I've tripped the alarm. Oh no, I'm, I'm going to be destitute. I'm losing my mind, you know, like, and I'm catastrophizing. And I catastrophizing, catastrophizing. And I, I had this feedback loop of catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. And so I, I, my wife is like, you're nuts. You need to go see a psychologist. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Um, so I go see this Christian psychologist at our church, and I go into her office, and I'm just like, I got knots in my stomach, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. And she's like, Nate, you're going to be okay. We're going to be ready for your therapy. Okay, let's do my therapy. Um, so she's like, I want you to, um, this week, I want you to think about your, your toes and your feet. I'm like, pretty expensive advice, doc. You know, but I'm, I'm desperate. I'll give it a try. So I start to, you know, scrunch your toes. And I want you to, what this is going to do is the, the thing, Nate, she's explained this to me. You can't fight this with this. Yeah. Like when there's crazy going on, you can't outthink crazy. Yeah. You know, because you're just going to, you're just going to, you know, you'll find more fears. You have to, like, use your body, which God gave you. It's psychosomatic union. And you, you, it's, while these things are distinguishable, the soul and the, and the, and the body, it's one unit. Yeah. Yeah. So you, not, you need to get into your body because you're just too up in your head. And so she's like, so scrunch your toes, scrunch your toes. Okay, and think about your feet when you're walking this week. So I'm, I leave the office and I'm thinking about my feet <laughs> walking home from Fifth Avenue uh, to my apartment in the West Village. And then the next week I come back and, and she's like, okay. Um, your homework for this week is I want you to sit down and I want you to just, I want you to feel, you know, your, your, your butt against the chair. Every time you sit down, I want you to feel your weight and your, just the contact between the chair and your derriere. And I'm like, once again, expensive advice, but okay. Um, and so I begin to think about my body and think, think about being present and thinking about, you know, being here in this moment. And as I began to do that, it began to interrupt this cycle, this loop that my brain was on. And, I be, and, and then I began to, like my, it's like my peace began to re, be restored as I began to focus on the here and the now. And Paul gives this Thessalonian church who's lacking hope and they're distraught and they've abandoned the projects in their life. Some really, really practical psychological evaluation. Someone asked Martin Luther, if, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do today? And he said, I would plant a tree. The Thessalonians have stopped planting. They've stopped sowing seed. And they become useless. Because of the anxiety and the political pressure and all the craziness of their world. And so Paul's advice to them is, get a job. And when you're at your job, do your job. <laughs> Work with your hands. Be, be the earthiest, most normal people in your city. Keep building. Stop. Don't stop building. Keep building. Obviously, keep in mind that Jesus is your hope, and he's going to talk to them about the return of Christ, and it's going to be awesome in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is how this is, the trumpet will sound. It's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, keep sowing. Keep building. Be normal. And as you'll do that, you're going to be okay. Hope will return. Church, can I tell you today, we need to sow our way out of the craziness in this world. We need to build, just keep building. Just keep building. We have to be, a, honestly, I feel like the Lord is calling us to be a, a, a building generation. God, regardless of what is going on, the price of gas, whatever it is, God, I am not going to be dissuaded. I'm not going to be persuaded out of 
what you've called me to be. You've called me to be a church builder. Jesus, you're coming back for a beautiful and glorious bride. And if she's not beautiful yet, you're not coming back yet. And so, God, I'm going to continue to build. I'm going to continue to sow. And we're going to do, we're, I'm going to get on your plan. This is what you're building. Jesus, this is the project. The church. You died for her. You love her. And I'm going to see her the way that you see her. And God, I'm going to be just, when you come back, you're going to find me doing what it is that you've called me to do. Why don't you stand with me? The Romans need faith to be unified. The Corinthians need love to continue to build. And the Thessalonians need to do the practical work of building. Well, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your church. Father, thank you for this people. God, I thank you that you've knit us together. Father, thank you that this is a church of living stones being built up into a, a holy temple in the Lord. And Father, thank you that our greatest days are ahead. Eternity Church. Father, thank you for Eternity Church. A church that is living their lives in light of eternity. But Father, I pray that we would be so heavenly minded that we're incredibly earthly good. That we would, we would be the most practical, building, thriving people in the community. And as people watch Eternity Church and they watch our lives, they go, wow, those people are just there on it. They're not distracted. They are so purposeful. They're building. They're thriving. God is adding to them daily. Father, I thank you for what you are doing in this church. Continue it in our lives. Lord, there's been places where we've been judging other people or we haven't been, we've been making church all about ourselves, or we've abandoned the project. God, I ask you by your Holy Spirit, you'd begin to convict, speak, Underline, Lord, Holy Spirit, take out that, that giant yellow highlighter and begin to circle things in our life. So that we can be the church that you've called us to be in faith, in hope, and in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.